Amen. Woo! Well, welcome to church. Um, you, pr you may have noticed a little glitch in our sound system. My apologies for that. That is because there was no one sitting on the front row over here. It just creates an imbalance in the room. Uh, so if you don't want that to happen moving forward, we need to fill that row. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, you know, this, we call this, Davey, what do we call this? It used to be the, the first couple of rows was called the, the honey hole. The honey hole, it's where the, the good anointing flows out, right? So anyway, those that are on the first two rows, welcome to the honey hole. Everyone else, there's still a front row available just for you. Um, if you're watching online, I'm so glad that you're watching. Please don't miss the opportunity to share the service right now. Be a witness to what the Lord is going to do in the next 30 minutes by sharing that to all of your friends on social media, giving a shout out to all of you on Facebook, on YouTube, and uh, praying for the Gens this morning. I saw that you have a prayer request. I saw that online, so we're praying for you. All right, welcome, welcome. Uh, today is the last Sunday of our Legacy Month, where we're talking about the generosity of God. We are not taking a Legacy Offering until September. The Legacy Offering is our one-time annual big give, uh, sacrificial giving. We're doing that in September, but I really just felt impressed to talk about the generosity of God. This gives you actually several months to prepare what your gift is going to be, but um, anyone in the room can just testify this morning to how generous the Lord has been to you. Amen. He's so generous, and not just, not just financially, though he, he messes with your finances when you surrender to him, um, but in so many other ways, and I think we, the last several weeks we've talked about his generosity. I'm going to continue this morning on the generosity of God, and I want to share with you how God is a generous investor. I love that Carrie has used the word investment this morning. Uh, I think Amber's used the word investment and investing, so the Lord is orchestrating this service. He is a generous investor, and I want to begin our text this morning while you're standing because we love to stand in honor the word of God that is holy. And uh, I'm going to take you to the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And our text picks up at the end of the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a wee little man. If you learned in, in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he got up in the tree to see Jesus. Jesus calls him down. They go to the house of Zacchaeus. And everyone was floored that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And Jesus says in that final verse before our text, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you want to know the mission of Jesus, it's right there. The Son of Man has come to save to seek and to save that which was lost. Then our text picks up in verse 11. And it's a parable that Jesus is sharing. And if you gloss over it too quickly, it can be a little confusing. So we're going to break it down this morning, but we'll start by reading it all. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, Jesus. Because he was near Jerusalem... And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. 
Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to, to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. In other words, I will judge you based on your perception of me. The perception you have of me will determine the judgment you receive from me. Somebody say, oh my. Okay. He thought he was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Verse 23, why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. The title of my sermon today is Risky Business. Risky Business. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for the opportunity to speak this incredible, rich parable. God, I thank you that your word is already stirring life in the room. The chains in the spirit realm are already breaking and falling because, God, you didn't come here to perform a show. You came here to do business with the hearts of men. So we surrender to you today. And we say, do whatever it is that you want to do in the room. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Generous investments. Roy was a single man living at home with his father and worked in the family business. When he found out that he was going to inherit a fortune when his sickly father passed away, he decided he needed a wife with which to share his fortune. One evening at an investment meeting, he spotted the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. And so he went to her and he said, I may look to you like just an ordinary man, but uh, in a few years, my father's going to die and my brother and I will split my father's $200 million. Uh, I think I'm a good investment. And she winked at him, smiled, asked for his card. A few weeks go by. Um, he hadn't heard from her. Then he gets a call from his dad, and he finds out that this woman is now his stepmother. 
This woman knew where to make her investment. Okay, do you hear me? I can go with the brother who's splitting it, or I can go with the dad and get it all. She knew where to make her investment. Listen, God is a wise investor. I know we have different perceptions of God, and some of us feel like God is just this, this ethereal mist floating around that's just this nebulous flow of, of white clouds and uh, that you never know where God is or what he's thinking. But the reality is, is that God is very calculated. He knows exactly what he's doing. He does it for a reason. He is the best steward you will ever find. He's a good investor. And so we're going to learn from our text today this parable. We're going to learn some investment strategies. What makes God a good investor and how does that impact us? What can we learn from this parable? And what do we need to do moving forward? Now, let me just break down this parable real quick and tell you what it means. Because first of all, some of us in the room might just get thrown off when you hear the word minus. Because you're like, what is a mina? Why don't they just say a nickel? Why don't they just say a shekel? Why don't they say an ear of corn? Well, a mina is three months salary. So it's significant. We see that a rich nobleman calls 10 servants, 10 slaves, and he brings to the table 10 minas. And he gives each servant one mina. How much is a mina? It's three months salary. So nobody got the short end of the stick. When God gives you something, he gives you exactly what you need to perform what he wants you to perform. Okay, so there are no victims in this parable. There's no one that had to make something happen out of nothing. Everyone got the same amount. There were 10 servants, 10 minas. Two of them decided to take a risk in investing. Two of them. Two out of the 10 risked investing their master's money. And the Bible tells us in this parable that they earned a handsome fortune. So they invested the the one mina, and one servant got 10 minas. That's 1,000%. The next guy got five minas from one. That's 500%. So these two guys really invested. Um, but then the master returns. And when he returns, it says he's the king of the whole territory. So he, he leaves to go find his kingship or obtain his kingship. When he returns, he is the king. Okay, he rewards the two servants who made money for him, promoting them to high positions of their own. And then he punishes the servant who kept the money safe, but unproductive. Then he commands that all who opposed him be killed in his presence. All right, let's take this verse by verse for just a moment so that we can really understand what's being said. Verse 11 says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. If I had my Bible with me today, I would underline he was near Jerusalem. That's an important phrase that Luke is trying to get us to understand the tension that is among them. Near Jerusalem, uh, the disciples know that something is coming. The disciples know that the kingdom of God is close. They actually believe in this moment when when this is being told because they're on their way 
to Jerusalem. They believe that the Roman Empire is going to be overturned when they get to Jerusalem. Like, this is the moment they've been waiting for. Are you following me? Jesus is talking about investments, and they're getting really excited because when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, it's all going to change. This is just before the crucifixion, so you can put it on the timeline in your brain. This is just before the crucifixion. This is before the burial and resurrection. They're heading into the city where everything looks promising. So Luke wrote this after the death, burial, and resurrection. So he may be hinting at the false hope that these disciples had. He may be hinting um, at the tension that's going on in the room because they're wanting one thing. The reality of, of what is and what they want are two totally different things. So then in verse 22, we some, see some figures start to appear in the parable. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman, who is a certain nobleman pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus, okay? The certain nobleman is Jesus. He went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, Jesus is dropping some hints here to the crowd. They're not picking up on it, but he's letting them know, I'm about to go away, and there'll be some time gap between when I go away and when I come back. Now, you and I understand that we're living in that time gap. Jesus came, he went away, and there's another point in time where he's coming back to this earth again, right? We understand that we live in that gap. The disciples didn't yet know that, but in this parable, he's getting them prepared. He's planting seeds to say Jesus is leaving, but he's coming back. So he called 10 of his servants, verse 13, his servants, believers, followers. That's you and I. You can place yourself in this story wherever it talks about the servants. Delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. This is the crowd that is just a few chapters later going to shout crucify him. As Jesus is held on trial and ultimately crucified the crowd that hated him was shouting crucify him and sent a delegation after him saying we will not have this man to reign over us all right just in those three verses there's an, an important key component to properly investing okay now i'm not talking about the stock market so i'm sorry for all of you that have already gotten out your notepad and you've opened up your day trading account I'm not talking about that kind of investing. I'm talking about spiritual investment. We must occupy until he comes. He says, I'm going away, but there's coming a day when I'll be back. Do business until I come. Occupy until Jesus comes. Do risky business until Jesus comes. Grow his investment in you until Jesus comes. Okay? Occupy. Now, I love this. I love this notion, especially in the time and the season that we live in, because you all know that uh, it's, it's, it's no secret that I believe Jesus is returning soon. I've kind of beat that drum for the past year. I've sounded the alarm. Uh, some of you might argue too much, uh, but I don't think so. I think that Jesus is returning very soon. 
I think that there is an age shift that is taking. I'm seeing Bible prophecy fulfilled on the daily. It's never in the history of humankind have we seen Bible leaping off the pages, prophecy leaping off the pages, and being fulfilled, by the way, word for word, based on something written 25, 2700 years ago. Jesus is coming soon. But we have to occupy till he comes. There's nothing worse than a Christian who thinks Jesus is coming, so they do nothing. They just Netflix it all day. Right? They, they don't try to grow their money. They don't try to invest. They don't be wise stewards with the income that God has given them. They don't continue to build relationship. They don't continue to evangelize. They've just shut off the world and listen. It's really tempting the past 12 months that we've had, it is really tempting to close that front door and keep the world out there and you safe inside doing whatever it is that you want to do because it feels much better now. We've all gotten used to keeping ourselves safe. We've all gotten used to avoiding the drama beyond the door. But we have to occupy till he comes. I went the other day to a place. And I won't tell you the name of the place because the story doesn't end so good. I ordered some protein chips and I got, when I find something good, I buy a lot of it because I don't want to have to go back. And I want to make sure that I always have it. And so these protein chips, what are they called? They're Quest. If you want to eat chips, but eat protein, they're, they're great. Quest chips, they have, what's their, my favorite flavor? Chili lime. Chili, it doesn't matter, that's irrelevant. The sweet chili, oh my goodness. Anyway, so I got two boxes of sweet chili, I got one of ranch and one of like nacho cheese, whatever. And they have, they have barbecue and all, all kinds of things. Well, I ordered it online and I had to go to the company to pick it up. And this company is close to here, driving distance, almost walking distance, but not from my house and not from the errands that I had that day. And I was running errands all over town doing, doing stuff. and. I don't recall what time the business closed, maybe 6 p.m. I drove up at 5.55 p.m. because my order was there. It had already set for days because I was just too busy to pick it up. And I sit there, I get out of my car, and I realize, oh, I don't, I don't have my mask. And so I go back to my car, and I'm looking for my mask, and, and Carrie's in the car with me, so we get involved in a little conversation, and she shows me something on her phone, and, you know, five minutes, four minutes goes by, and now, keep in mind, in the parking lot, there is no one there. It's just my big old Suburban right in front of their door. Are you with me? You picture a glass door. All glass front. I'm right there. My door opened. I got out, got back in. I'm talking. I'm looking for this. I come out at 6.59, like one minute to close. Whatever time, one minute to close. I see the sign switch from open to close and the door locked. So I get up and I go and I'm, I remember I'm a pastor and I'm like, knock, 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 knock. And I'm like, hey, hi. I mean, I'm like on the dot closing time. Do you know what I mean? And uh, he, from, from the desk, he looks at me and he goes, So I, I walk back to my car, 
like any man totally defeated would. And I look at my wife, and I say, I missed it. And I'm driving away, and I told Carrie, I said, that is the difference between a hireling and an owner. Someone that's just hired for the hour wants to lock the door the moment the clock strikes. But someone whose livelihood depends on that sale sees you pull up, they'll wait the extra 10 minutes for you to come in and get your four, four boxes of chips. Do you know what I mean? And I, I wish that in the kingdom that you and I could just understand that we often function as an, a hireling rather than an owner. But God hasn't called us to be a hireling. He wants us to own the kingdom, to expand the kingdom, to, to care, actually, to care if our friends show up to church or not, to, to care if we're connecting with people on the outside or not, to, to care if the homeless get fed or not. You know, and maybe you've not had that one example happen to you, but you've all had this happen where you're at Walmart or HEB, and the person checking you out, you say, how's your day? And they say, I get off in one hour, right? Anyone ever, now if you've said that, don't raise your hand right now. Every time I, I hear how awful it is to be at their job, I think to myself, you're not an owner. Because even if an owner hates their job, they're not going to let their customer know that they hate their job, right? As an owner, I know this, you're like, what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm getting there. But as an owner, even if I've worked 12 hours or 14 hours, that last interaction, I need to make that person, that individual feel like that is the highlight of my day. Not that I'm just waiting for time to go, if I'm just waiting for time to go, if I'm just waiting for the clock to strike, I'm a hireling. But hirelings don't leave legacies. Owners do. So my question to the church today is, are you ready to get out of this place? Or are you doing business until he comes? Are you occupying until he comes? Have you already put the closed sign on the door of your life, of your ministry, of your connections, of your heart, of your growth? Or are you occupying until he comes? Listen, we're never going to stop serving him. I know some of us feels like you feel like Jesus is coming soon. So you've, you've kind of checked it off. Or you feel like ah, people aren't coming to church. Why witness? Why, why evangelize? You, you feel like it's a, a lost a lost cause. But I have to remind us all today that we don't get the luxury of stopping serving Jesus. And I'm not talking about a car park or a greeter or a worship team or e-kids. I'm talking about bigger than that. Bigger than that. We don't have the luxury of not asking God, what do you want me to do today to build your kingdom? You know, the, the battle that we're fighting, I don't know if you, if you realize this or not, but the battle that we're fighting in the spirit realm is bigger than you. Have you ever really thought about that? It's actually bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than any one individual. It's bigger than any generation. The battle we're fighting in the spirit realm didn't begin 
the moment that you said yes to Jesus. This battle didn't begin when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. You know when this battle began? This battle actually began in, in Genesis, in the creation. Genesis chapter 6. No, Genesis 3, actually. After the fall, and God says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That's when the war began. You know this battle that we're in? You know what it really is? It's a war of the seed. We're warring over the seed. That's why when we read in the Old Testament, we see crazy stories of, of Passover where all the male children under the age of two get killed. And they put blood on, on the doorpost as well. Do you, do you remember all of these stories? Because the enemy didn't know how, didn't know when. But he knew that there was a promise made to him that the seed of the woman was going to crush his head. So ever since Genesis chapter 3, Satan has been after the seed of humanity. Now get this, it actually didn't stop when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the grave. Yes, the score was kind of settled, the outcome was determined, but the war didn't stop. Satan is still after the seed of humanity. Off topic. Do you know why the flood happened? Noah built an ark. This is not an allegory. It's not a parable. This quite literally happened to planet Earth. We read about it in Genesis chapter 6. Do you know why the flood happened? It did, the flood didn't really happen because the world was so evil and there was lots of people sinning. The flood happened, according to Genesis chapter 6, uh, because sons of God came into daughters of men. So there was a, a transaction between fallen angels and humanity. They produced offspring called giants, known as Nephilim. So the flood happened, and, and this is why in the Bible, Old Testament, you, you'll see where God says, kill everyone, kill the men, kill the wives, kill the children, kill the whole city. And you think, oh my God, what are you doing, God? Because God understood the DNA structure of that city, and he needed to wipe out the Nephilim because the DNA had been distorted. This is exactly why Noah was selected, he and his family, to go on the boat. The Bible tells us that he was pure in his lineage. He was fully human. Mind-blowing, right? Well, the Bible goes on to say that in the days of Noah and after that, so that tells us that even after the flood, the enemy's main goal is to distort the DNA of humanity. And do you know why that is? Because Jesus came to redeem humanity. And if Satan can somehow make us not human, we become irredeemable. It's a little bigger, right, than just like the, the old tradition in the story. The war, the war that we're a part of goes much deeper. There, there are many layers to this. And so when I say occupy till he comes, I want you to understand that the war actually doesn't end when the rapture happens. Now, just so that we all understand what the rapture is, I can't theologically unpack it for you in this sermon, because I'm out of time, but the Bible talks about there is a time when Jesus will return in the clouds, 
In the twinkling of an eye, the saints will be transformed into glorified bodies. That means you'll be able to walk through walls. You'll be able to do whatever Jesus did after his resurrection. We know that Jesus was able to disappear, to walk through walls, to eat. Thank God that we're going to be able to eat real good food for all eternity. Isn't that good news for so many of us this morning? Where was I? I started thinking about good food. Oh, yeah. So anyway, the rapture. It is going to happen. Jesus is going to call his saints, the bride of Christ, the spirit and the bride says, come, Lord Maranatha, we're ready for the Lord to come whenever he's, he's ready. Uh, and, and then the rapture happens, but then there's a tribulation that takes place. And what, where, whatever you believe on where the rapture happens, whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, uh, my wife says she thinks everybody's going to be wrong. I have a philosophy uh, that I think everyone's going to be right. I think that's why there is so much disagreement between pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib is because you can justify all three in Scripture because all three are going to happen. I, I can't talk about that now, but ju- that's my, my take on it all. But just know that there is a period of tribulation, right? This is after the church is gone. New people are coming to Christ in that moment. Can you imagine the moment that millions of people disappear? People are going to say, I knew this Jesus thing was right. Like two weeks ago, I was feeling a tug on my heart to make things right. Why didn't I listen? Right? And so the moment the church leaves, there is, there is a, a change in the age. The, the age of grace is over. That tribulation happens. But after the tribulation, there is a 1,000-year millennium. So there is a 1,000 years, 1,000 literal years where Jesus comes to earth, and he reigns on earth, okay? And I'm going to break it down for you. Oh, I'm out of time. I'm going to break it down to you and just prove to you real quick that we've got a long time before we stop serving because we're going to be serving through the thousand-year millennium. So you can't stop serving for at least another thousand years, right? If Jesus were to come tonight, you've still got another thousand good years in you of having to serve him. Serve him. Now, the Bible talks about us Uh, being kings and priests, right? Kings and priests. Revelation 5 says we we are kings and priests. And when we get to heaven, we're to throw our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Every crown that you have obtained throughout this lifetime, you're just going to lay it down at his feet. And I I can imagine like the moment of locking eyes with Jesus. And I know one crown that I'm definitely going to get. It's the crown of righteousness that's the crown you get when you're excited about his coming and you're watching for his coming, I know I'm getting that crown because can't nobody be more excited and more watchful than me. Like, I am overboard, annoying y'all, watchful. And so when I, when I get that crown and I lay it down at the feet of Jesus, I imagine what I'm going to feel when he makes eye contact with me and he's like, you were watching. And I'm like, the crown is yours. And scripture tells us that when we get to heaven, no, Heaven is, is going to be amazing. You're going to see your family, and there are, are rivers, and you can swim and breathe underwater, and you can mountain climb, and you can hike, and you can do what, all, all of the good stuff. But our primary job in heaven is going to be to intercede. We'll be priests to our God in that moment. In Revelation, it, it paints this picture of the 24 elders, who's the church, and we're in the throne room of God. And we're interceding, and, and the Bible says that we have a bowl of incense that we 
pour out at the throne. And these are the prayers of the saints. So the saints that are in the tribulation who are now saved and, and, and praying for God to rescue them and to help them, we will be in the throne room delivering their prayers and interceding for them down below. Pretty cool, isn't it? I had no idea, right? I had no idea when I was 10 that I signed up for this battle. It's not just a vacation like if Jesus comes tomorrow, I don't get to clock out. I'm still on duty. And I'm going to be interceding for anyone that's left behind. But get this, after the tribulation is over, New Jerusalem is going to come down and it's going to rest on earth. And for a thousand years, there will still be humans because not all the humans were, were eliminated during the tribulation. There will be humans but during that thousand years, it's going to be absolutely beautiful on earth. No war. Satan will be locked in the pit for a thousand years. The Bible says that people are going to have to travel to Jerusalem. Every year they're going to have to make a trip to eat from the tree of life that has come down from heaven because they're healing in its leaves. People will live for a long, long, long time. They'll have babies, not you and I, because we'll be glorified. We'll, 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 we'll just... Uh, be helping God rule the earth, but they'll have babies. There will be a generation that rises up who never even heard of war, didn't even know war existed. Maybe we'll transport them. Maybe, maybe we get to fly and, and you know, Brian pick up somebody, you know, this old homeboy, me and you, we'll pick him up by the arms and we'll fly him as fast as we can over the Atlantic or to get him to Jerusalem, and like, I'll wink at you, and when you do, we'll dump him in the water really quick, you know what I mean? Because he's human, he needs air. And they have to go to Jerusalem, eat the leaves, and it, it's going to be amazing. But at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from the pit. And because there is still sin nature in the world in that thousand years, now there's no organized evil, there's no war, there's no murder, but the hearts of men have not been purified. The, the hearts of men, they'll have a decision to make in that thousand years. And one of our jobs in that thousand years will be to witness to them. We will witness to the grace of God because we will remember what it's like to live in a fallen world. We will remember what it's like to hear about wars, to hear about injustice, to hear about murders in the neighborhood. Do you understand? We will witness to the grace of God. We will witness to the glory of God. We will witness to the truth. We, you and I, you and I, during the millennium, the Bible says we're going to have authority to rule and to reign. Imagine that. I know some of you don't feel like royalty this morning, but you've been adopted into it. When you said yes to Jesus, you had no idea of the role he was calling you to. Toward the end, people will be disgruntled, humans. Satan will be released one final time. He'll gather the humans. He'll encourage a revolt. And we know what happens. They will surround the people of God. And, and there's no fight, there's no war. They're, they're coming to destroy us, but out of heaven, fire falls and destroys the enemies of God. And after that is the recreation, new heavens, new earth. And we live forever and ever and ever and ever. 
You see, on earth, we're to serve now as kings. You are a king on earth. I know, maybe you don't act like it. Maybe you don't understand the authority that you carry, but it's, listen, time is getting close. We don't have time for us to not act like a king. You are a king and you carry authority. And then we go to heaven and you become a priest to our God. And you're interceding for the people below and you're worshiping him, being a priest. And then you come back to earth and you are king again. And you're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And then new Jerusalem comes down, the earth is recreated and we spend the rest of eternity connected with other people, fully connected with God, worshiping with no shame between us, with no guilt between us. We worship, we witness, and we carry authority. Did you know, actually, that's why this life is so important. You're in training now. We've been led to believe that this life is all there is and live it for the here and now, right? Right, what is it? Uh, YOLO and FOMO. Come on, that's old school. I know that just makes me feel really old, but you only live once or fear of missing out. You don't only live once, you live forever. You're only in phase one. Come on, come with the program. You're in training. And what you allow the Lord to do in your heart during this lifetime prepares you for your season of warfare in heaven, prepares you and actually places you into your position. I can't get into the Greek word, but places you into your position in the millennium. You will be established in the millennium based on how much you grow in this lifetime. Like it's important. You, you're building now for how God is going to use you later. If you read verses 15 through 19, all right, I'm, I, I'm done, so I, let me just finish. All right, stop pressuring me with your eyes. Verses 15 through 19, so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minus 1,000%. He said to them, well done, good and faithful. No, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. You have authority over 10 cities. Because you were faithful in a little, you have authority over 10 cities. The second one comes, came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. I feel like this is a principle we don't understand in this lifetime. Many of us are praying for increase from God. We, we need favor, we need blessing, we need increase. But do you know the vehicle that God always uses to bring increase into our life? Increase always comes in the form of more responsibility. Did you see that? They, they managed the one well, they got 10, so God gave him cities to manage. If we want increase, we have to be ready for more responsibility. I, I know we think blessing and favor means more rest, but it means more responsibility. We think increase is about more money, but it's really about more wisdom being established. 
Parents, listen, the best way to teach your kids how to walk in the blessing of God, to walk in the favor of God, yes, teach them to read the Bible. Yes, teach them to pray. Yes, get them to church, get them to camp, build healthy relationships, all of of those fundamentals, yes. But here's, here's the nugget we often miss. If we want our kids to walk in the blessing of God, we need to teach them to walk in responsibility. Because God won't release blessing over someone that can't be established in responsibility. When your kids complain that they have more chores than their friends, just let them know that there are cities waiting for them to step into their authority. All right, verses 20 through 26. This block of text talks about the third and final one, the one that didn't invest. And, and quite honestly, when you first read it on the surface, you kind of feel like he's getting a bad shake. Like he just wanted to protect the investment. He wasn't being evil. But if you read closely, you'll see that it was fear that kept the investment from growing. You see, God is telling them, I'm about to go away. I'm coming back someday but I'm placing an investment into your hands. What is that investment? No, you're not the investment. I know it would be nice to think we're the investment. The investment is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus that washes away every sin, the kingdom message that he's coming again. That is the investment. And and Jesus is saying, if it's so good, you can't keep it to yourself. If you really believe the gospel message changes lives for all eternity, then get outside your home and share the news with somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. There's no use in hearing the good news and keeping it to yourself. It's risky business. You may fail when you're trying to witness and evangelize and share the gospel and pray for people who are sick, pray for people who are in wheelchairs, pray for people who are on crutches, pray for people who are blind, pray for people who are deaf. It's risky business, I get it. You may fail, you may get rejected, you may look like a fool, you may get killed for your faith. Your spouse and your kids might get murdered in front of you for your faith. What are you gonna do then? If society were to come to that, what are you going to do then? Have you already established an investment mindset so that you understand you're not living for this life? God has made a generous investment. And he's looking for a return on on his investment because that investment is his inheritance. Father, I come before you today. God, I just ask you and let us occupy till you come. God, don't let us get too comfortable, too comfortable looking inward, too comfortable not challenging ourselves to reach beyond ourselves. God, God, let us understand that we have a kingdom to build, that we are partnering with you. God, I, I just thank you that as we step out, as we invest, we're not responsible for the increase. We're just responsible for the yes. So God, give us the boldness and the courage to be a generous investor, just like you. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. We stand to your feet.
Thank you for being with us today. This Wednesday is Awaken at 6.30 p.m. We have prayer and communion. And of course, we start a new series next week, Sunday at 2.30. But listen, service is over, but church is not. Go be the church. Be blessed. We love you guys.